It's May 23rd, 2022. And this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Walmart quarterly profitability miss confirms economic slowdown. REI circular commerce efforts show great progress. Klarna's new virtual shopping feature makes me worry for buy now, pay later. Target's Q1 2022 earnings highlight short-term profit challenges, but the long-term outlook still remains strong. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news. Walmart quarterly profitability miss confirms economic slowdown. Walmart announced Q1 2022 earnings last week, and here are a few callouts. E-commerce growth was essentially flat at 1% year-over-year growth, and in contrast, Amazon's net sales increased 7% year-over-year. We'll talk about more about this in a minute. Walmart is gaining share in the U.S. grocery market. Basket size is up while units per basket are down. Wages, inventory levels, and supply chain fuel costs are the big reasons for the profitability miss. The company's global advertising business grew 30% year-over-year. Walmart lost a big fulfillment center due to a fire, and they spread that volume out to their stores. Walmart's also gaining share in grocery. Regarding Walmart Go Local, there are now 1,600 delivery points available in the United States, about one-third of stores, which seems like good progress. The U.S. category mix moved more to food and consumables and away from discretionary. Some thoughts I have on the results. I would have liked to hear more about utilization or customer updates for Go Local. I know they had signed with Home Depot before, but who else? Walmart's recovery from the huge fulfillment center fire speaks to the value of the company's distributed fulfillment strategy. Inflation's effects can be seen by basket sizes going up with units per basket going down. In this type of economy, the learnings are a bit harder to come by because each quarter is a little different. I think there are going to be lumpy progress and results. In particular, focusing on free cash flow is generally the biggest lesson here. This makes me worry about upcoming Amazon quarters due to heavy infrastructure build-out in the last two years. Now, I would like to talk a little bit about Walmart's e-commerce results and what I feel like they're missing. First, it seems like Walmart Plus is not going anywhere fast. Amazon Prime is still the king of the market, and with the recent NFL Thursday night sponsorship, it's holding strong for the foreseeable future. It's harder than you think to take Amazon customers away, and Amazon has a huge defensible moat. In the current climate, my feeling is that growth in the enterprise retail segment is zero-sum, meaning if one retailer wins, the other loses. Additionally, if you go back to previous quarters, the things that Walmart was highlighting were mostly supply-related, i.e. how many sellers and SKUs the company was adding to its marketplace. How much G&V did those sellers and SKUs produce? Probably not very much. Finally, Walmart is learning that supply is not the most important lever here. The company is adding lots of international supplies, including the Chinese sellers that used to be on Amazon. The problem is, the shopper is not following. And it's actually the shopper that's important. What I think you see in Walmart e-commerce is actually a poor copy of Amazon's business model. It's like what Amazon would be if there was no Prime. A big website, but not nearly the juggernaut that Amazon has become. Until Walmart learns that, I expect it will be a little bit of a difficult road. Our second story, REI's circular commerce efforts show great progress. A recent article in Modern Retail reported on continued progress from retailer REI in its circular commerce efforts. Over the past few years, the retailers invested heavily in resale to drive growth. 
I wanted to highlight a few things about REI's efforts because I think they're unique in the industry. The ultimate goal is for the company to have a very well-developed omnichannel used gear business, allowing both resale and trade-in both in-store and online. In 2018, the company launched year-round used gear sales. In late 2020, the company not only launched two stores dedicated to used gear, it also launched a trade-in program online and did a pilot in select stores. Now, REI is expanding this pilot to all of its stores. Ultimately, I think REI is showing that not only is this resale opportunity real for those with high-end products that retain their value, this growth can also be accelerated when it matches your overall brand message. And this is proven by the fact that its resale business outpaced REI's overall revenue growth. Our third story. Klarna's new virtual shopping feature makes me worry for buy now, pay later. Klarna, a payments company best known for its buy now, pay later business as well as its advertising network, is moving into virtual shopping, and I don't think it's a good look. Here are the basics of what it's doing. The company is launching a feature which allows shoppers to connect with sales associates through chat and video calls in order to help them through the purchase experience. The new feature is rolling out in 18 markets, including the United States, United Kingdom, Sweden, and Australia. The backdrop here is that buy now, pay later seems to be faltering as a business model as these companies are finally realizing that there is an actual business reason for credit scores after all. While I admire the pivots to new markets, the big question I have is, what does this say about the core business? Just imagine if Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, said this, Hey guys, we know banking and lending are very high margin, but we just can't seem to figure out who is going to pay us back, so we're going to get into the enterprise software business. Chase stock would be cut in half overnight, and investment analysts would rightly ask, why don't you just strengthen your qualification criteria? Does buy now, pay later have a legitimate future? Is it anything more than a model that just takes advantage of consumers? Or is there a real social utility there? I'm not saying I know the answers to these questions, Watsonians, but the answer to the social utility question in particular holds the future to the entire industry. And our last story. Target's Q1 2022 earnings highlight short-term profit challenges, but long-term outlook remains strong. Anyone who wants to learn e-commerce and retail could do much worse than go back and listen to Target's earnings call for the past eight years, which is highlighted there by their consistent strategy, real data with explanations about why that data is moving, and steady and experienced leadership. Here are a few call-outs from Target's Q1 2022 earnings. Overall, 2022 margin guidance is approximately 6% as opposed to 8%, which is their normal target. This has been driven by a shift in inventory, supply chain issues, and purchase basket mix. Q1 comparable sales show 3.3% growth on top of 23% growth a year ago, which is split between store and online relatively equally. And there's mid-teen growth in same-day sales as reported. And digital same-day was half of all digital Q1 sales, and half of same day was actually drive up rather than store pickup. This is an unbelievable multi-year deliberate strategic story here. Target also reported that their supply chain woes will persist into 2023. The supply chain challenges will yield more than 1 billion in extra expenses in 2022 due to freight availability and costs. There have been hundreds of millions in unexpected costs in Q1 alone due to the use of freight spot rates and inventory has arrived both sooner and later than expected, particularly bulky items. It's been difficult with Target to move inventory when and where they need it to. And unfortunately, 
There's no relief from supply chain challenges into 2023 is what the company reports. Help is not on the way. Category mixes also shifted faster in the last two months than expected. There were small declines in apparel, hard lines, home, for same-store comparables. But there was a big slowdown in electronics, appliances, TVs, and outdoor furniture. The low double-digit growth in food and beverage was led by own brands, which is great progress for the company's investment in grocery and food. There was also growth in beauty, sunscreens, color cosmetics, toys, and fashion-forward apparel and travel as baskets shifted to experiences, going out, and seasonal holiday. Target's expansion plans have also largely unchanged. New stores are still opening this year, and there are going to be six new local metro sortation centers open with three more planned by the end of the year. The company's three current sort centers handle 4.5 million packages in Q1. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, e-commerce marketplace startup Body404 raised money at a $50 million valuation in order to bring Chinese independent brands to the world. I browsed the website and looks something like a Shein clone, except that it's a marketplace model rather than a fast fashion model. It'll be interesting to see if the U.S. consumers respond to the difference. Second, financing platform Wayflower just raised $300 million in debt from J.P. Morgan in order to fund inventory and marketing spend for growing direct-to-consumer brands. In a challenging economy, this suddenly looks like a quaint little pandemic business. I wish them a lot of luck because J.P. Morgan will come calling for these funds later on. And unlike those buy-now-pay-later businesses, J.P. Morgan is more of a pay-now type company. Third, resale platform for brands Recurate raised $14 million to grow its peer-to-peer resale business. The idea that rather than ceding control of your brand to ThreadUp, Poshmark, and eBay, you can take control of your brand and own the complete resale experience as a high-end brand. Fourth, Austrian-based Kenless content management system Storyblock just raised $47 million in order to bring simple web pages and updates to marketers. This caps a recent set of fundraising in the headless market, with Ampliance and others raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And finally, warehouse robotics firm's Gray Orange raised $110 million in debt and equity. The company was founded in India in 2015, and the funding will go towards hiring and ramping up production of its warehouse automation solutions. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.